0: hello and welcome to this week's hong kong heritage where i chat with peter hibbard the heritage and archive ambassador for the peninsula hong kong peter hibbard first came to hong kong in 1986 only staying briefly before traveling to the mainland and to shanghai a city he fell in love with and would leave and return to over a number of years he's written about the bund and also about what is now known as the Peace Hotel, but was previously called the Café Hotel. Peter's book on that is called Peace at the Café, and is available with Earnshaw Books.
1: A few months here in hong kong doing some research i ended up in shanghai and i ended up at the Bund. i went in by ship as you would have done as a tourist in the 20s and 30s and all i saw were western buildings and i stayed in the old Astor house hotel the building i stayed in which built, was built in 1910 and remodeled by none other than the hong kong and shanghai hotels in 1926 and i thought again this is not China. What's it all about? And then I decided not to look just at the modern development of the industry, but to look at the history.
0: So, if you say you went to Shanghai by ship, mm. uh, what year was that, and how did you? Is it was that a cruise ship? Or
1: when I left Hong Kong, this was in January, February, nineteen eighty-six. I arrived uh, three months or four months before that in eighty-five. I took uh, the overland route to start. I stayed at the Bella Vista in Macau and then went up to Shantou and took the boat uh, to Shanghai. It was held up for two days in fog outside Shanghai, and we had to eat with rotten bananas. And I ended up, as I say, which was one, once the finest hotel in Asia, the Astor House, now a backpackers' hotel and a dormitory with 14 other males, and continued my journey around China. When I returned uh, to China, that was in 1988, I came back as actually one of the first lecturers in hospitality and tourism. I actually taught tourism marketing at the Beijing Institute of Tourism for uh, nearly three years. And during that period, I had a, a massive stroke of luck in terms of my quest to find out about the old hotels and the old tourism scene, in that I was given open access to a collection, the foreign language historical collection at the National Library of China, which was closed not even known about, basically. So there I was, going through all the old newspapers, magazines, documents, for over two and a half years, and getting an understanding of uh, that history, which was remarkable, you see, not just of the hotels, but the whole of the organised travel industry, but also the development of Shanghai. And in fact, it's very interesting, I think, um, to look at war. War was probably the main reason that Shanghai was made and it was of course the opium wars that were created under british rule but in the 1850s taiping rebellion was taking place and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of chinese flooded into what were the foreign controlled areas near the bund in shanghai for protection and safety and at that point the british were hemmed in by the chinese and there were two courses of action, and that's my life. I have followed these two courses of action all my life, but I've never been surrounded by the Taipings. Uh, basically, one, they leapfrogged over the Taipings, who were behind them on the Bund, and they started developing Shanghai to the west. And so that's Shanghai's urban development. That's when that really started. And two, they started looking for sanitarium resorts, healthy places to go to escape the squalor disease. That was being created, and so that's the development of tourism, and so that's when it all started. In fact, in Shanghai itself, the Astor House Hotel was the first hotel. Its lineage does go back with the Hong Kong-China hotels back to 1858, in fact. And so, yeah, I was fascinated by all this stuff. I travelled all over China. I looked at all the resorts, and um, looked at all all the old hotels. And I mean, it's become a you know fantastic uh, journey through the past and into the present.
0: Now you started at the Astor House I actually stayed at the Astor House in 2015 and it's the largest hotel room that I've ever stayed in. I don't know is it the Astor House still open these days?
1: No the Astor House closed down I think about a year and a half ago. In fact the uh, the vice general manager is a good friend he's still there as the property manager but it's now the uh, securities museum. I've not been up there to see unfortunately. oh
0: so disappointing
1: but, it, yeah. but the hotel is intact it's the only original hotel that there is in China all the other ho- old hotels heritage hotels if you want to call them that have been reinvented let's put it that way and I think Shanghai is an interesting place because you don't know what is new old real or fake unless you really know you can easily be conned but what you see at the Astor Hotel is what the Hong Kong and Shanghai hotels did in revolutionising the nature of social life in Shanghai and then with the peninsula in Hong Kong by introducing ballrooms, grill rooms and all those details. The floors, magnificent ballroom, apart from the ceiling which has gone, was all put in around mid-1920s by the Hong Kong and Shanghai hotels just as the peninsula in Hong Kong was being built.
0: You've actually written a book all about the history of the Bund and also Peace at the Café which is again about the Peace Hotel which still exists now with its band. And also was previously called the Cafe Hotel.
1: Yeah, I was fascinated by, you know, not just the the Asta House and the Palace Hotel, which was the south wing of the peace hotel again that was operated and owned by the hong kong shanghai hotels in effect the kuduri family going back again to the 1920s i, mean, I had this ambition when I, I saw the peace hotel that i would like to produce a book on it that was in the 1980s i'd, I'd done a draft of the book by 1990 but nobody was interested but i did eventually get it published just before i left shanghai because i was living in shanghai for many years in 2013 in the Beginnings. I actually, my first book related to um, travel and history was actually The Odyssey Guide to Shanghai by Magnus Barton, the publisher here in Hong Kong. And I revised that one in 1992, I believe. And then um, he also published my book, which I had a passion for, Telling the story on the bun, because I say there's so much confusion and misunderstanding and misrepresentation of history in Shanghai that I wanted to correct all that, but do something that was fun and people could walk along there and really, you know, feel the flavour of what the place was like in the 1920s and 30s.
0: Do you wish that you'd been there in the 1920s and 30s? Well, I think
1: I have actually. I think, <laughs> you know, it just feels like I think there couldn't be a more fitting person myself, to... because. I've lived it, you know, for all my life, that period, it's been, it's my furniture. It's my home. So, uh, yes. And in fact, at home, I'm now living in Yorkshire in a 220 years old cottage, and my upstairs is Art Deco from Shanghai. My downstairs is 1970s retro in the kitchen diner. So, um, I live many, in many realms. And again, this is transposed into my interest here in Hong Kong with my current engagement as heritage and archive ambassador for the peninsula here. <laughs>
2: I've been climbing every hill, I've been looking high, and I've been looking low, looking for my Shanghai Lou. The stars that hang high over Shanghai, bring back the memory of a thrill. I've been looking high, and I've been looking low, looking for my Shanghai Lou. I devil was just a mother blast. but you discover something on the level shining in her eyes. Oh, I've been trying to forget her, but what's the use, I never will. I'll be looking high, and I'll be looking low, till I find my child Ill.
1: soon after I'd published the Bun book, I was giving a talk at the Royal Geographical Society in in Hong Kong. And that was when I was sort of discovered by Hong Kong and Shanghai hotels in the peninsula. And I was invited then, as I was living in Shanghai, and had this completely uh, sort of unique perspective on the history to to come up with a a publication for the grand opening of the peninsula Shanghai, which was a return for the Kodori family to Shanghai after an absence of over 50 years. And so I came up with the publication of the uh, book called Beyond Hospitality, The History of the Hong Kong and Shanghai Hotels, uh, which was published in 2010 for the grand opening, and that was some party. I left Shanghai in 2013 to go back to the UK so my daughter uh, could attend school. It was last year in 2018 that, uh, again, the peninsula kindly invited me to come over and look at their archive collection. Now, um, the archive collection, I'd actually seen a little earlier in a smaller room in the hotel because I actually started my work on the Peninsula Hotel in Hong Kong in 1991. I came down here, I was in Hong Kong for about four months that year, again to continue my work on the history of travel and tourism but also on the development of Shanghai. I was very interested in this eminent architect who built the Hong Kong Shanghai Bank here in Hong Kong called uh, George Leopold Wilson who worked for Palm and Turner, but unfortunately all the records had gone. And then I came into the peninsula, I was graciously treated here for a week and if I remember correctly, somewhere on the lower floors of the hotel, there was a huge white safe and inside were all, well, many documents relating to the history of the old board of directors, reports, correspondence and so on and so on. And that's when I built up an initial understanding of what was going on in Hong Kong. But I'd actually presume that um, the history has been well-trodden here since uh, the peninsula is such a famous institution. But on actually returning last year in 2018 to Hong Kong, I realised that much more could be done to tell the story of this amazing institution how it's developed over the years since it opened in 1928.
0: Yes, there's loads to tell. You can, you know, not just who's visited. I mean, you know, when I think about the peninsula, the the the, the aspects that are often told are the green Rolls Royces, um, you know, the extension or the, the the two towers behind later on, and uh, also the celebrities and the, the, very, the, the veteran barman, and, uh, uh, you know, so these are all uh, very important aspects, but I, as you say, there's, there's bags to tell about the peninsula, and also its position as, a, you know, originally a railway hotel, but then um, all sorts of other aspects, and its position in Hong Kong.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting, in fact, that, you know, the way that tourism developed, originally, you know, the, the major travel agencies, including Thomas Cook, American Express, were not in Hong Kong, they are in Shanghai and Beijing. And it was really with the extension of the Trans-Siberian Railway in the turn of the century, 20th century, that turned the notion of actually building a station in Kowloon uh, as the terminus, which was one of the factors uh, in the development of the hotel. But in fact, the the railway link wasn't that strong in terms of delivering passengers into Hong Kong or into Shanghai or Beijing, as a matter of fact. It was the cruise liners. So we saw the first burgeoning of International tourism in the early 1920s um, with the cruise liners. And they began calling in Shanghai and Hong Kong from that day on. And one particular one, the Empress of Britain, was one that Sir Lawrence Kaduri uh, was very very keen on and sailed on himself and he used to host a lot of the guests in the peninsula hotel and in his home in shanghai marble hall in shanghai so it was that growth uh, through the round the world cruise liners which were floating luxury hotels in themselves that provided the guests up until the 1950s they came largely by ship not by rail and largely it was americans that were coming in and you know some of the most famous stories have been told but there's a lot more to be told and to be learned And I'm recovering even more that history uh, every visit I come back. On this visit, I've actually spent quite a bit of time at Hong Kong U uh, just looking through digital newspapers. Now, when I first started looking at the heritage of hotels in Beijing, you know, it took me months. I spent two years going through newspapers. I spent two weeks at Hong Kong U, and I have recovered so much. And that's also part of a wider project and mission that I've got, which is to, to set up all my work it's a voluminous amount of work it's not particularly valuable in the sense it's got lots of revisional documents and so on but it's unique valuable information in terms of the the whole travel and tourism industry in China and Hong Kong I want to set that up as the beginnings of an archive for hospitality and tourism a heritage centre in Shanghai that's my personal ambition which of course the Peninsula Archive here fits in very well and I'd love it to be associated um, with that and as a wider aspect of that in Hong Kong, it just happens, that, uh, coincidentally, that there's a small network of people involved with this type of work, historians in Shanghai, Hong Kong. One of my good friends in uh, Shanghai introduced me to Professor John Carroll of Hong Kong U, and um, he's now working on a book on the development of hospitality and tourism post-war in Hong Kong, particularly. Reference to how Hong Kong marketed itself to draw in tourists, and so you know it's a really nice setting. And so I think there's something that's hopefully going to emerge in Hong Kong around this, and I, I'd love to make a you know a, a special feature of this for Hong Kong and the archive and the peninsula as well.
0: So how long would you say that Hong Kong has been a tourist centre?
1: Well, you can go round to the, the beginning of the, the last century; people were coming in again, largely um, from Shanghai on on the cruise liners which were going in at that point. Well, sorry, at that point, not cruise liners, there'd be ships going over to Australia. But you say you've got to look to the twenties again. It was the advent of the you know, the cruise liners on their world tours. The first one was nineteen twenty two. And so that was the advent of tourism. The peninsula of Hong Kong had an undeniable reputation for its wonderful service that was definitely without peer. And that was the mainstay of the hotel that still is, is the staff. And there's lots of records in this room of the staff and many memoirs and so on and I think it's you know that's the thing to remember and what this hotel was about and I said when HSH was formed in 1923 their mission was to bring about a revolution in social life so when the uh, peninsula opened in December 1928 there was a massive spread in one of the local newspapers in Hong Kong and the banner headline was The Peninsula for Pleasure and that sums it up, basically.
0: So this is from 1928?
1: 1928. 1928.
0: <laughs> so that's interesting. You've got a whole uh, photo spread here, about five photos on the front describing the banquet hall and the roof garden and the grand salon.
1: Yeah, even at that point, I say, the, the hotels in Shanghai had just been remodelled, both the Aston House and the Palace, and so there was a sort of Italianite sort of renaissance style. So as the peninsula was actually being built, I believe the designs were changed, reflecting the change in styles of that period. Of course, we had, in 1925, Art Deco introduced uh, through the uh, Paris Exposition. Unfortunately, there was very little in terms of that expression in the hotel, but one part of the hotel did have Art Deco designs and mosaics, uh, but that has long gone of that period.
0: Oh, it's interesting, though, isn't it? That, that as you say, it's, it's uh, had all these various, over time, major architects involved, but then just reinvented itself over the decades. Can I ask, when you arrived in Shanghai in 1986, I mean, you had the Bund there that does take you back to the 20s and 30s, but what was the rest of Shanghai like in 86?
1: I did not appreciate what I saw in Shanghai. I just said, I'm, not, I'm in China. What am I looking at this for? And I took a few pictures, grey pictures, because it was grey in Shanghai. It was all grey. And um, I just didn't understand it. It was cocooned. It was a whole city that had stopped growing and was just cocooned. It was a museum. And I didn't really appreciate that until I started living in Beijing and I kept coming down to Shanghai and you know doing more research. And um, it was incredible. There were very few foreigners, under a 1,000 foreigners living in Shanghai in the 80s. And Uh,
0: why were you there?
1: Well, I was doing research on the hotels. I was looking at, in particular, the Cathay Peace Hotel and the Hong Kong Shanghai Hotels. It was uh, when I moved down there in 91 that I realised that... um, one of those libraries which everybody had thought been lost or destroyed during the Cultural Revolution was actually still there. It wasn't open, but I was receiving items stamped, Royal Asiatic Society, North China Branch, and they were being delivered to the old race club where the library was at the time. So I knew that library was there, so... That wasn't then. Later, when I moved back, I was back in the UK, back and forth as a tour director in the 90s. But I moved back to Shanghai in 2001, and soon after, both that former North China branch of the World Asiatic Society Library and the Shanghai Municipal Archives, with all the records going back to the 20s intact, all opened again. And so, you know, it was quite remarkable that nothing was lost. And, you know, it was, just uh, you know, a, a dream for researchers so that's why there's been a proliferation of stuff on Shanghai, there's a lot of material out there people can work with uh, and of course Shanghai was the most amazing international cosmopolitan buoyant city in the 20s and 30s and of course with the hotel industry and many other industries it was made by you know a small group of Shafadit Jews the Ezra's for instance who owned the Shanghai hotels before it was amalgamated with the Hong-, Hong Kong Hotels Limited of course, which was owned by the Kaduri family And the Sassoons, Sir Victor Sassoon. And so that had a a massive impact on life in that city. And of course, in 1949, the Qaduris came down from Shanghai to Hong Kong. The Sassoons didn't. Uh, Victor Sassoon retired, in a sense, to the Bahamas. But the Qaduri family moved all their interests down to Shanghai. And they made Hong Kong. Again, their home, and they build up the hotel business here.
0: When I went to the Peace Hotel recently, I mean, one of the aspects of it are the the musicians in in. Is it in the lobby that they they always have a, they seem to permanently have a band going?
1: Yeah, the jazz band at the Peace Hotel. Again, music, as I say, something that was popularised by Hong Kong Shanghai hotels. Now, in the old days, in the 1920s. It was the Astor House Hotel band which was regarded as the jazz band of its time. You know. And afternoon teas were introduced there actually in 1914 by you know, the forerunner of the Hong Kong China Hotels because they thought that the balls were so you know, sort of wasteful of, t- of times of war we need to cut back on the flamboyance. So the tea dance was introduced there, and of course that's become a tradition with the peninsula ever since. And so with the Peace Hotel, the Cathay Hotel, In fact, the jazz orchestra is a recent import. I think they really formed in the early 1980s. There was music in the hotel, in the Peace Hotel. They did have various orchestras. They had three orchestras, in fact, but there wasn't a jazz band. The jazz band was of the Astor House.
0: Now, remind me, with the Astor House, who founded that?
1: Well, originally it was a British guy back in the 1850s, but then it was taken over in the late 19th century by Edward Ezra. And then, as I say, when... Uh, the Kaduri family formed Hong Kong Shanghai Hotels it was taken over by them and the, oh, at that point also in Shanghai and unfortunately its career was very, very short um, the McBain family, wealthy English family their residence, palatial residence was taken over by HSH and James Harper Taggart, the pioneer really of modern hotel keeping, the director of the company here in Hong Kong transformed this beautiful palatial home into the finest boutique hotel in the world, basically with the biggest and most flamboyant and the best dance floor anywhere to be seen. And so, you know, this was something revolutionary for the time. Unfortunately, its career only lasted about seven years. But uh, that's, again, where China learned to dance, if you want to put it like that.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, what was this boutique hotel called?
1: It's called The Majestic. And it's interesting that the. Uh, the new Peninsula Paris was formerly the Majestic as well it was called the Majestic Hotel and I used to live for 13 years literally just a minute's walk from where it existed and I I, I love Shanghai because the fabric is is still intact in many places and I've done a lot of work to try and highlight uh, its value its inheritance my ambition is to make people aware to understand and appreciate Shanghai's historical inheritance and that's what I really want to transfer to the Peninsula in Hong Kong as well and I lived, I lived a life in Shanghai because I was very fortunate to to own with my wife, who's Chinese, from Guilin. We met when I was a tour director. She was my tour guide. <laughs> uh, um,
0: and what's her name?
1: Oh, Susan Lee. And um, I've got a lovely daughter called Sasha. That's the reason we moved back to the UK in 2013. She's now uh, going to university next year. Uh, but um, I lived in a, a, an apartment block built in 1928 in Shanghai and uh, the italianite courtyard garden originally and uh, if i'd have been around there in 1929 30 uh, one of my neighbors would have been the the young dame Margot fontaine amongst others and it's just such a nostalgic area and the largest collection of red brick terraced houses in shanghai was right in front of me that's preserved and that was interesting because that was the first area in Shanghai to be developed as a community development it had a clubhouse and everything on site. So Shanghai was so progressive at that time, and of course Hong Kong was well behind. It was very much a, a, a colonial entity at that point. It wasn't really after until after the post-war that it started to put itself on the world map. And really, post 1960, I think that uh, it became uh, a place of fantastic international repute, which the peninsula certainly promoted here. And, in fact, the architects came up with the concept. It only originates from the 60s, of East meets West for the hotel. So that's something that's taken off in marketing Hong Kong for many years afterwards. But it was the architects, actually, uh, of the peninsula in the 1960s that came up with this concept. And the key figure was Marco Polo as the embodiment of this East meets West. So even today, that uh, juncture of East and West is in the hotel, in the fabric of the hotel.
0: So I'm talking with Peter Hibbard here at the Peninsula Hong Kong. Peter is the Heritage and Archive Ambassador of the Peninsula Hong Kong. And we're actually sitting in the Peninsula Archive Room. So we're surrounded by very nice comfy chairs, but also photographs, plates, books and a super collection of books on the table here. Some of it uh, is lovely. I mean, I haven't looked at the text yet, but just even the... uh, um, I love just the way that the text is written. It takes you right back to the 1960s and uh, some of the design and, and photographs, of course, when the Peninsula then reinvented itself. Are you having lots of fun going through all of these old books?
1: It's a dream. It's been, it's, it's a wonder job for me, actually. To, uh, I'm getting on in years these days. and um, I really, as I say, I want to continue this and give something to Hong Kong, uh, all my work back here. It's just fabulous, you know, rediscovering things.
0: So you're looking to go through old newspapers books, I mean, records we've got here as well. It's there's there's of
1: records the here. I think, you know, what we're looking at, you just mentioned these lovely uh, pictures of the 1960s is the Peninsula magazine from the early 1960s. Again, this was a period that people weren't doing this. They used this as a marketing tool. It was revolutionary and public relations wasn't even heard of in those days and so on. And so it's quite amazing that all these records have been kept. Now, I believe that the edition we're looking at, the bound volume here, has been given to the room by one of the legends of the Peninsula Hong Kong, and that's Felix Beger
0: Now, he was a manager here at the Peninsula, wasn't he? He
1: was indeed, yes.
0: Yes, because there's a picture of him actually meeting the American singer Danny Kaye in, in one of the publications uh, that we've got here.
1: Yeah, this was a very interesting story. When I came into the room for the first time last year, um, there's a, an inventory of what's here, but a lot of things were displaced and there's no uh, background on, on a lot of the material. And I came across a little ladybird book. It's a ladybird book, Marco Polo. And I thought, what is that doing? And I put it aside thinking, well, that's somebody, it's a mistake. <laughs> and then I came across a letter. Uh, this was for the opening of the New Peninsula Tower in 1994. And at that point, as on anniversaries, uh, there's always been a plea to the public to, oh, look, can you, if you've got anything out there, can you please give it back to us, or can you help us with some background, or your stories, or your pictures, or whatever? And so in 1994, there was a response from the architect who built it, reformed the hotel in the 1960s. Who was that? That was Walter Marmorek, and I've got the letter in front of me, and it's to Felix beger And it says, here we have a copy of uh, Marco Polo, which is given to me it was given to walter by danny Kay, because danny k loves staying in the marco polo suite when he came to hong kong and the peninsula hotel and so it's got much more significance than i originally thought are you still inviting people
0: you know if they've got memories of the peninsula if they've got photographs even items associated with the peninsula are you on the lookout for more
1: very much so i mean uh We're so grateful to receive anything relating to the peninsula from anybody that stayed here or has got uh, other memories, documents, whatever, photos, whatever, from any period of time. Really, so much. So I really want to tell a complete story in this this archive room and really bring it to life. On recent visits, I've been... uh, focusing on certain aspects like say 60s culture so looking at music we've got some records which were recorded in the hotel and so I really want to bring the whole thing to life and whatever aspect of the hotel there is or has been we'd love to find out more and more and more it could be an endless story
0: My thanks to Peter Hibbard, the Heritage and Archive Ambassador for the Peninsula, Hong Kong. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. Oh,
2: I've been trying before. but never will. I'll be looking high and I'll be looking till I find my Shanghai.